6, verses 5 through 8. And if you have your bulletin, you can follow along on page 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. As we uh, spend the next 40 days as a church community praying, and as we start off the new year, encouraging you to pray as many people feel a fresh urge, a fresh joy to pray, to grow in prayer, uh, would love to spend the next few minutes, and this will be brief, but spend the next few minutes learning about what Jesus teaches us here in this passage on prayer. What can we learn about prayer today? Let's first pause and pray together as we ask for God's help. Jesus, we want to learn from you. And so we're listening to your words here. And we ask that you would give us all the help that we need physically, removing any distractions we might have, uh, but also giving us attentiveness in our soul, our hearts. We really need you. We, we, we need to hear from you because your words give us life. This isn't just about... Prayer itself, this is about knowing who you are and how we can relate to you. So please come, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Imagine having a a friend or an acquaintance where every time they call you, every time they text you, every time they talk to you, it just seems that they're always talking to other people about it, what they said, how they encouraged you, the kind words that they shared with you. Uh, You know, maybe it gets a little bit strange where every time they connect with you, every time they speak with you, they even seem to boast about it. You find evidence of this on their Instagram page or maybe their Facebook page. They're always telling other people, hey, just called my buddy four times in the last two weeks. Hashtag friendship. Wouldn't it be odd? Or to have, for instance, a friend who every time they sent you a birthday card or a thank you note... They tend to share the contents of that note that they sent to you to everyone else in the room. What is going on there? It would be a strange thing, of course, to experience in our friendships. And yet Jesus is telling us that this is exactly what we tend to do with this beautiful gift that the Bible calls prayer. How often it is, maybe even by instinct, that we tend to pray which is meant to be one of the most intimate ways in which we connect with God. But we do it with our eyes fixed on the eyes of other people. Do they see that I'm praying? Am I getting any points for this? Are they impressed by me? Am I fitting in more in this place because I pray? Jesus knows our hearts. He offers some correction to us. And with all grace and compassion, he teaches us how to pray. 
And this is what he says. Two things, really. We'll look at each in each turn. First of all, he tells us to pray personally. Pray personally. And secondly, he teaches us to pray simply. Pray simply. Pray personally. Pray simply. Let's take a look at each of those first. First, pray personally. Verse 5 Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for when they love to pray, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. This actually follows after Jesus' introductory remarks in verse 1 of this chapter, where he begins by saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he goes down a number of different religious spiritual practices talking about this temptation that we always have to do things in order to be seen by other people. Here he's focusing on that temptation in the practice of prayer. Again, verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying to be seen by others. Jesus is correcting our tendency to treat prayer as performance. We tend to take prayer and use it to try to impress other people. As he said, in order to be seen by others. Hey, look at me. My great prayers. How close I am to God. Which, of course, is a way to demonstrate just the opposite. If you need to flaunt it, it shows that there's fraudulence, there's a fakeness to the way in which you might be relating to God. Jesus even says here, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, when we use that word in our modern use, we usually mean someone who is judgmental towards another person for doing the same thing that they themselves do. In the ancient language, it's actually a word that has a slightly different meaning, Literally, in the ancient, Greek word, the ancient Greek word behind our translation, it refers to actors on a stage who would wear masks. Uh, hypocrites were those who, uh, despite the inner reality of their hearts, were always playing a part. In this case, uh, hypocritical prayers are always playing the part of Prayer warriors, maybe? Perfect prayers, say the right words, prayers. Sound religiously impressive all the time, prayers. Pretending prayers. Jesus says, be careful not to pray like that. With your eyes towards what other people think about you when you pray. And someone says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. I would never even want to pray in front of other people. My problem isn't praying towards the public. But I would say, don't you see that any kind of self-consciousness in prayer, even if it makes you afraid of what might people think, is actually a way of seeking the approval of people. You're, you're, you're still catering too much. You're still too concerned about what other people think about your spirituality in Prayer. Jesus says you don't need to impress others. You don't need to impress God either. Which of course is hard for us to believe. The world in which we live. And especially because everything about our worlds makes us into consumers. 
Uh, we really believe that we, we live not only in, in uh, we believe that everything in life it really boils down to a transactional relationship. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give you this if you give me that. And of course, we treat God in the same way too. Here, God, if I throw a couple words at you, then maybe you'll give me what I really want in this life. Instead, Jesus is calling us to something much more intimate, much more personal. Again, he's calling us to pray personally. Because prayer is private, personal, intimate communion with God, your heavenly Father. You see, the heart of prayer, as the Bible tells us, the heart of prayer is not actually asking God for things, but rather it's being with God for himself. This is something that I feel like I personally am only beginning to really understand. Again, that prayer, according to Jesus, is not primarily asking God just for things, but rather being with God for himself. So that your attention isn't just in what you're getting out of God, but rather your attention is on getting more of God. Have you thought of prayer in that way lately? Of course, the word that captures everything that Jesus is communicating to us is the way in which he describes God as our Father. Again and again throughout this passage, he says, you have a father, your father. Pray to your father like this, your father will that. And what does that mean? The Christian gospel is unique. It, it teaches us that the God of the universe is someone that gives himself so personally to us and forgives us so completely of all of our sins and selfishness that he not only cancels all of our moral debts, he actually then brings us into his heart into his family in such a way that we can actually call him our personal father. The gospel is that the judge of the universe who could rightly condemn you not only forgives you of your sins, though that's good news, but there's even better news, and that's that this judge, having forgiven you, then calls you in and names you his child. Who's committed to you, to doing you good, to caring for you as a son, as a daughter. You're not just a forgiven sinner. You're now a child who has a father who loves to listen to you and loves to give you good gifts. J.I. Packer, a theologian, wrote this about understanding God as our father. He said, to know God as our father as our almighty loving Father, is the highest, richest, and most rewarding aspect of our whole relationship with Him. God takes us into His family and fellowship. He establishes us as His children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. And of course, when God is your father, then that means you're a child. And if you're a child, then how do you approach your daddy? 
Well, with boldness, with confidence, with expectation. Uh, my parents is going to love me well. They're going to provide for my needs. This is why in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes that we reproach God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in faith. We approach God with boldness and access and with confidence. Not based upon our own worthiness. Because we would surely disqualify ourselves from any right to be in God's presence. But rather on the basis of the worthiness of Christ. He died for us. He rose again for us. He made a way for us to waltz right into the very glorious presence of God. And say, you know what, God? I've got a few things on my heart I'd like to share with you. Jesus is inviting us into a much more personal way of relating to God, even as we bring needs to him. Of course, it's not wrong to ask for things, but the question is, are you asking for them in the context of a kind of intimacy and affection that you might have with your heavenly father? I've been sort of experiencing this a little bit as I've recently been praying for my son, Some of the challenges that he's facing, as all children do, but some challenges he's facing in his development as a young boy. And uh, there's sort of this way in which I've noticed that the tendency of my heart is simply just to throw prayers out. You know, it's kind of like shooting out a quick email. Again, a transaction. Hey, hey, God, I've got this need. And hey, God, here, here, can you do something about this, right? Treating God as a vending machine, treating God as a machine, But instead, as I've tried to grow in this, I found how helpful it is simply to slow my heart down a little bit, to identify God really as a a real person, in fact, three persons, Uh, to to sort of slow down enough and and almost to picture in my heart uh, carrying this, this bundle of needs. And again, instead of just throwing at him, throwing it at him, or writing a quick note to him and tossing it, rather to bring those needs to him personally, that uh, this is prayer, to, to take these burdens and needs and then to, to sit down in front of him and to say, can I talk to you about a few of these things? Can, can we just talk? Because I don't even know, first of all, what to ask, but I know I have these needs. And then to sit in God's presence And to have a conversation. And as I've done this and to make just that interaction a little bit more personal, I've found how much easier it is to to identify fears that I have. Ways in which I'm I'm nervous that those prayers might not be answered. Or ways I'm able to admit my inability to control things. Even as a parent, even though I wish I could, I can't control things. To be able to earnestly confess my love for my children, uh, for my God. And to be able to say, God, you you know my heart, but I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom. I I don't know the next step. I don't know what my children need. I know you do. And then I find myself just being able to talk as if God were real. (laughs) To talk with God and to talk through things as if, he really were that personal and as if he really were that interested in what I had to say. Because he is, you know, 
his ears turn towards you if you know Christ as Savior and you have God as your Father. He really is interested. He really has got his eyes fixed upon you. He really is generous in the ways that he wants to meet your needs. Jesus' point here is not that the only right way to pray is literally to hide out in a room, though there might be something to that as well. He says in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And what is he saying there? Well, he's talking about our hearts again, that you're not just paying attention to what other people see and think, but you're paying attention to your time with God himself. It might not necessarily be that we literally need to close the doors, but, you know, that might not be a bad idea either. You know, God is everywhere and We can pray to God wherever we are, but friends, it really is helpful for us to carve out space and time so that we're able to pray, pouring out our hearts honestly before God and to do so fervently before God. I mean, I've seen this, right? You can pray in the metro. You really can. But at some point, you're going to have to edit a few things you're thinking and feeling because of the company that you're surrounded by. Friends, when you actually are able to find a quiet place, whether a room in your home or a spot in the morning where you can just unpack your heart with total honesty, where you can let the tears flow if you need tears to flow, where you can clap your hands and shout for joy if that's what's really on your heart, where you can say the unthinkable or the unutterable, Something maybe that you've never said to another human being, but you know you have the peace and security to say before your God. Sometimes the difference between fleeting prayer and focused prayer is carving out a real space and a real time to do that. I would say in the next 40 days, as if you engage the 40 days of prayer, that maybe you make sure you do it in sort of a routine, one place, one time, instead of just running around, though God will hear you even then. But in order to train your heart to be ready, to be present before God, and to pray without distractions. You know, God really does invite us into that sort of intimacy that sort of personal care, that sort of relationship. He says, pray personally. Jesus also teaches us to pray simply. I'll go through this quickly, but Jesus says in verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. What he's talking about is sometimes we kind of secretly believe that we're going to change God's mind or we're going to force him to hear us if we just use more words or louder words or bigger words or if we, I don't know, pray with a British accent, you know, whatever it might take to make it feel or sound more spiritual or more appealing to God. I mean, this is all the difference in the world to believe that God hears your prayers, not because you've impressed him, but because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the one that wins God's ear Jesus is the one that makes God's heart turn towards you. 
So you don't need to manipulate God in order to make him hear you. You see, Jesus is correcting our tendency to treat prayer as an attempt to persuade an unwilling God. Where we say God doesn't really care about my needs, so I need to sort of twist his arm. You know, I kind of need to do something, you know, sort of repeat my request again and again because he certainly couldn't have heard me or he certainly couldn't know my needs. Jesus is calling us in all of our anxiousness, in all of our fearfulness, in all of our temptation to feel the need to bribe God with our religious activity, but rather to trust in his grace in a way That gives us a simplicity of faith. My God is my God and he loves me. So I know he'll listen to even one word that I say to him. Even three words that I share. I know he's going to hear me. Why? Because he's always listening. He's always eager. He's always generous to give. And so we begin to believe that we have a heavenly father. Not only his acceptance and his affection, but also his active care and protection, and provision for our needs. Jesus reminds us that short prayers can be very powerful and very effective. That prayer is not made more effective by its length, but rather by its depth. Not by the quantity of words, but rather the quality of our faith. Simple trust, simple trust in our Heavenly Father. Again, Jesus says, when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do you believe that you have a father who loves you, who loves listening to you and loves answering your prayers? God gives us what we need because he already knows what we need. Sometimes there is in our hearts the insecurity of feeling like we need to inform an ignorant God of things that he doesn't know. But instead, Jesus says, you have a father who knows what you need before you even ask him. And sometimes when he meets those needs, he's even quick to answer. Just last night, I was speaking to a sister in Christ who has been spending some time overseas, which means being in a city without a home church community. And she was sharing that a couple months ago, after being frustrated, even disheartened, at the struggle to find a, a, a church home and uh, the fellowship of Christians in this distant land in a foreign city, uh, she found herself in a marketplace eating lunch by herself and kind of in her own heart quietly praying to God, God, please help me. I don't have any uh, fellowship or support with other Christians, brothers and sisters, and I don't really have a church. And would you please provide some church community for me to plug into? And in the middle of those thoughts, in the middle of those prayers, right there in that marketplace at that very table, she looks up and there are three or four people from that local town uh, leaning over and saying, hey, excuse me, can we actually, uh, can we share our our community with you? We would like to invite you to our church as they handed her a little slip of paper giving the name of the church and information as to how she can plug in to the church community. Right then and there, 
I mean, it doesn't get any quicker than that. An answer to her prayers and the ways in which she said, as she shared the story with me, she still gets goosebumps seeing the perfect timeliness of God's answer. Of course, now she's a part of that church community and those same people, they were uh, uh, now good friends of hers. You know, now they're close together and they reflect upon that day and marvel at the strangeness of the way that God brought all those circumstances together. Sometimes God can actually respond and meet our needs that quickly. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he puts us in a long path of waiting, teaching us to trust in him, teaching us to persevere in our seeking of him. Sometimes it's because he wants to give us not what we think we want, but rather what we truly need. He loves us too much sometimes to give us what we've asked for because he has a better plan or a better gift. We in our frustration sometimes rage, but I said I wanted this over here. And God says, I know you said you wanted that, but don't you know how much I love you not to give you that, but rather to give you this over here, the thing you really need, the relationship that you really need, protecting you from harm or giving you a greater blessing. God might have you wait. Sometimes he meets our needs and answers our prayers immediately. Sometimes he puts us on a path of perseverance. In all cases, it comes as a gift of kindness and love from the heart of one you can call your heavenly father. You don't need to bribe him or twist his arm to get him to listen to you. He loves you more than you know if you're in Christ. You don't need to manipulate him. You don't need to persuade him out of his unwillingness or to wake him up from his sleep. God has always got his eye upon you because he's your heavenly father. So you can pray simply and you can pray personally, knowing that he loves you and knowing that you don't need to perform to impress him or to impress those around you. But rather, you can enter into a quiet communion with God, even in the secret places, knowing that your God will meet you there. There's sort of a sweetness, I think, that Jesus is inviting us into a sweetness of prayer. I know sermons and teaching on prayer can sometimes feel like a burden, another thing we need to do. I don't know if that's what it feels like to you. I hope you sense a little bit of the invitation into the sweetness of this kind of simple communion with your heavenly father. Uh, not, not, not trying to win him over or to win other people over, but simply to be, to love, to commune, to listen, to ask. Because God is ready and willing to meet you if you'll simply meet with him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray that you would teach us how to pray. We confess our weakness. We thank you so much that you're a God of grace who teaches people that barely even know how to pray, or when we do pray, we use it for all kinds of things like coming to you to use you just to get what we want. And yet we're asking that you would teach us now by the power of the gospel, by the power of your spirit, to teach us to pray in a way that makes prayer a gift all over again, to make it sweet to us, maybe for the first time, to make those of us that maybe are afraid to talk to you, to be eager to talk to you. I pray that you would encourage us in this journey 
Strengthen us individually. Strengthen us as a church. In prayer, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.
the Lord's Supper, and this is your Heavenly Father's table. This is the family dinner table, is what the picture really is. It just also happens to be the table of the King of the universe. And you've been given a seat because of the blood of Jesus, if you've embraced him as Savior and for your life. You've been given a seat, and the name tag that is in front of you is the name of Jesus, because he's the one that's earned your place and freely gives you every blessing that he has as the original son of God, your oldest brother, and now shares all of his rights, benefits, and blessings with you. It's an amazing, it's an amazing invitation to feast at the table, to be fed by him, to eat together with your God. That's what this table depicts before you, and this is a time for you to have your faith strengthened by God. In this table, to remember that God wants to give grace to weak, helpless sinners like us. That he wants to give you confidence that you might know, I can really come to my Heavenly Father with anything. I can talk to him at any time. I've been given this right by the blood of Jesus. So if that almost doesn't feel true to you, this is a good time for you to come, be fed by the body and the blood of Jesus, that you would believe the good news all over again. So come and eat. Feast on the grace of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the blessing of this gift, this bread and wine and juice, this ordinary stuff that you said you're going to use in a special way to minister to our hearts. And so please come, Holy Spirit, and please give us more of Christ. Uh, Jesus, you are here, present, feeding us. Feed our souls because we're weak, we're hungry, we're needy. We really are. So come and bless this meal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, before he was crucified for us, he broke bread with his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take me and do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he poured out the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood for poured out the forgiveness of all of your sins. Drink of it. All of you. We have a few tables in the back and one in the front here. We'd love to invite you to come on up either right away if you want to get in line or you can sit and pray, ponder, maybe jot down a note or a thought uh, before you come on up. It's up to you. You can come up on your own time. When you do get to the table, you have bread and crackers for those with allergies, also wine and juice. It's your choice. If you could just take the cups and put them in the big baskets on top of the tables before you leave from this place, it'll help us clean up. Um, I would love to uh, invite you as you come and take communion, uh, you're taking of the body and blood of Jesus, but if you pray to address God as your heavenly father, use that word. There are lots of ways you can address God, but in light of our passage, I would love for you to make use of that privilege and blessing that you have to name God, daddy, father, and to sort of dive into that kind of personal intimacy that he invites you into. Uh, While you are praying or uh, uh, while you're taking communion, we have members of the prayer team that are in the back there. I see Asia and Joanna. And so if you are interested in getting some prayer uh, by someone besides yourself, uh, this is a gift. So please um, feel welcome to talk to those sisters and they will uh, pray with you and pray uh, for you. And if you're new to the Christian faith or maybe you haven't embraced Jesus yet, it wouldn't maybe be the right time for you to come and take from this table at this time, since this table is for those that say, hey, I, I have already embraced him, but this is a great time for you to still to make use of this time spiritually. 
uh, to pray, try praying to God. Maybe that's something you've never tried before. Just talk to God about whatever questions are on your mind. Maybe you can jot down some questions you have on the bulletin or use the reflection questions or some of the prayers that you'll find in the bulletin too. So you too can use this time well. But if you are taking communion today, come on up and come and meet with your heavenly father. Uh, Come and be fed by your savior.